Bloodbath and Beyond, episode 21. I'm Casey Mitchum. And I'm Burton Cody. Dead or alive, you're coming with us, because today we have the dubious honor of reviewing RoboCop 2. Thank you, thank you. And 3. I'm having trouble. It's action and horror, it's horror and action, it's Bert and Casey, it's Casey and Bert. Believe it or not, the first RoboCop movie I saw anything of was RoboCop 2. And you're still a fan of this series? That's because of the uh, serendipitous nature of which I saw the very first film, and the fact that it was a great movie anyways. So, And I think the parts I saw of RoboCop 2 were like, I want to say the last act, when there's a lot of explosions and guns going off. Gotcha. And Robot can I tell- mayhem. Can I say for the potential first-time listener that I do find it funny that we have used the words dubious and serendipitous in the first minute of a review of RoboCop 2 and 3. We're we're, we're really breaking up the $5 words here, folks. Oh, yes. Indubitably. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh. Well, um, I guess we should just jump right into what RoboCop 2 was all about. God, that's so that's such a difficult task though cuz I don't really know what this movie is about once it's over. The and that's one of the biggest problems in this movie. It's from 1990. Um it has a Peter Weller is back as RoboCop and this time he's clearly very bored with the role because he wanted to prep to do David Cronenberg's Naked Lunch instead. Um but he ended up doing anyways. Uh, That's why he does not return for part three, but part two concerns a very convoluted plot, or kind of like a series of plots about how the Delta City, mentioned in the very first movie, the construction for that is being uh, accelerated. All the while, there's a wily drug gang pushing a new drug product called Nuke. And the police are on strike, and it's up to RoboCop to maintain some sort of order. And that's kind of a plot to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Let's just say, first of all, that just like the 50s view of the future, you know, was, was box robots and flying cars and, and the matching Jetsons. Matching uniforms. Matching uniforms and the Jetsons. Yeah. Like, this is a portrait of what the, like, 1990 on the button thought the future was going to look like like this is i mean the, the drug is named nuke which i cannot think of a more generic cold war paranoia drug name yeah than nuke i guess frank miller frank miller who we should say first off that he wrote both of these sequels i i am so disappointed <laughs> and this is frank miller when he is by all means probably at the height of his powers i think well, uh, the late eighties, early nineties. For our non-comic fan listeners, and I, I know that we have at least a couple. Yeah. Um, let's clarify who Frank Miller is. Frank Miller is is a very prominent. Even to this day, he doesn't work as often. But even to this day, he's a prominent writer artist uh, for a lot of the big influential comic books. Um, he wrote Batman Year One, which uh, oh, and the Dark Knight uh, Returns which either could be argued as the greatest Batman story of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote the character-defining run 
of Daredevil. I mean, you can, you know, people go, oh, Stan Lee created Daredevil. Doesn't matter. Stan Lee did not create Daredevil in the, like, in the same, in, in the mold that Frank Miller reinvented Daredevil, and then that character became defined by that from there on out. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you know, he wrote a lot of uh, side comics that, you know, were not, were creator owned projects like uh, Sin City, which has a pretty solid Robert Rodriguez movie behind it, um, and another one on the way. And, yeah, later this uh, year. And a uh, another comic which uh, he kind of references in these movies, uh, Ronin, which is his uh, neo-futurist samurai story. Mm-hmm. I haven't read Ronin, so I wouldn't get any of the, the references. Also, to the to the fans of uh, the big blockbusters of the day, I left this out because I'm not a I'm not a fan of Miller past like 1994. Me neither. Uh, like like his like he was at his creative peak from the late 80s to early 90s, and then he's increasingly like deviated into stuff like 300, which doesn't really grab my interest. But I know 300 has a huge fan base, so you know he's he's your guy, he's yeah. your guy. But but I think he I think after that period, he really became a guy that. I think he reached that creative level where you don't have an editor anymore. Like you get to, you get to write whatever you want to write and draw whatever you want to draw, and no one's gonna no one's gonna rein you in. And Miller has so many weird like fetishes and things that like and just like a really misanthropic point of view. And like it's it's great in doses as we see in like the the best stuff that he does, but he has no. There's no creative control on him, and he just goes unrestrained. Like, yeah. oh, this character's gonna wear a Nazi uniform in this scene for no reason, you know? Like, um, I, I think a good way, like, what typifies all of that is compare The Dark Knight Returns, one of my favorite Batman stories of all time, with The Dark Knight Strikes Again, when he's hit that unrestrained, I'm so great, everyone knows I'm great, I can do whatever I want. Period. I would say even worse is All Star Batman and Robin. I, I kind of like All Star Batman. <laughs> See, but that to me is like that—that's a totally different right, <laughs> totally different creator with a totally different sensibility than the guy who wrote Year One. I like uh, if we can go uh, even further off topic. I like that All Star Batman around me because it's schlocky and over the top. But see, but I, I think you're speaking of that as like a big fan of guys like Garthinus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, that, that's, that, that goes with it a little bit, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I mean, there and there is a place for schlock, but I I don't know. I just don't I don't feel like it's the same writer that had the subtlety that he did before. He had just crafted these brilliant crime stories with Bat- Batman in particular. Those are the ones that stick with me more. His Daredevil works are fine, and I, I think you're a bigger fan than I am. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorite superheroes. But, uh, yeah, Batman Year One and Dark Knight Returns. I will always, every once in a while, maybe once a year, I'll pick it up read through it and be thrilled. Um, and at this point, he wrote this epic, long script in the late 80s for uh, RoboCop sequels, or a RoboCop sequel. And from what I can tell, they weren't. the studio did not want to do everything he wanted in the scripts. Maybe it was the Frank Miller to come <laughs> years down the road, or maybe it was just like the budget would have been out of control I think there's a I think there's a case for both. Yeah. I mean. um, it was uh, translated into a comic years down the line, but I have not read it. The only RoboCop comics I've read were the RoboCop vs. Terminator, which I really liked growing up, 
for very obvious reasons, and the fact that it was, it was a pretty cool comic. And then there was the terrible Dynamite series from a few years ago. It's bad, like, across the board. Uh, oh, man, it was like... Uh, I don't want to go into it, but... I, I don't know anything about it. It's worse than... It, it, it's a comic series that completely discounted these two sequels are about to go into. Well, and why wouldn't you? I mean... Why wouldn't you? Yeah, you're like, okay, I can dig that. And it's just like a very generic RoboCop hero story with really, really bad artwork. It's like a, a deviant art fan project, you know, just not good. I, I can't believe like a publisher put that out. But the covers were cool, and that's why I picked it up, uh, other than the fact that it was RoboCop. <laughs> I think I think part of the problem I have with this movie, and this this ties into Frank Miller being a comic writer that's trying to make his entry into Hollywood here. Yeah. Uh, and I, I can't speak to how much of the movie was changed, because I'm sure, I'm sure with studio intervention, there was probably some significant alterations to whatever he turned in. And the man didn't have a lot of time to write it. Like, they wanted to rush this out. This is why Paul Verhoeven didn't do... The sequel, uh, you know, because he directed the first one. He wanted to do it, and they wanted it out, like, immediately. Yeah, like, he sooner was, rather than later. He was busy doing Total Recall at the time, too. Right. Yeah. And they, they, they just wanted this out now, 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 and Miller had, like, no notice to really write it, but he did his best. Mm-hmm. Um, he did, and, and... Oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say, well, the, the, like, the problem I have, there is a huge difference between kinds of writing. Um, someone that's great at prose might not necessarily be good at writing a comic. Someone that's good at writing a comic might not necessarily be good at writing a screenplay right away. Like these are these are different sets of skills. Um, and I think this is perfectly exemplified in one of the opening sequences in this movie, where there's this whole just long wacky bunch of scenes. I might be mixing up two and three now, and if I am, I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. But there's this there's this like. There's this scene in Detroit, on the streets of Detroit where, like, all these different people are stealing from each other. Yeah, that's um, that's, that's the opening to part two. Okay, opening to part two. Yeah. There we go. Okay, but so, so you know, an old lady falls down and a man looks like he's going to help her, but instead he's robbing her. And then he gets beat up by comedy prostitutes, which, hey, if, that's, if, if there is not an appearance by a prostitute, you are not watching a Frank Miller production. <laughs> nope. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, he gets... He gets he gets stomped by comedy prostitutes and so on. And this the scene feels like it's only a minute, but it feels so long. But in a comic book, that would be a single page, and it would be forgivable, and you'd be past it. Hmm. Yeah, they'd, they'd be like this. Yeah, the opening page. Here's your top three panels. You you would do that gag in six panels and move yeah. right along. It wouldn't be a thing. Yeah. Um, I like where it leads up to, and I I like the opening scene to two because of the way. It, the, the cool intro RoboCop gets that he deserves. A bunch of guys rob this ridiculous gun shop. It looks like it would be uh, Gaddafi's private gun store or something. Saddam Hussein's private gun shop. It has like all these illegal-looking bazookas and automatic Thompsons and all kinds of like comic book-looking assault rifles. Yeah. Uh, and then there, there was like the... Uh, at this point, it's like mandatory news, uh, news break uh, exposition mm-hmm. that they did in the first one, and they do it quite smoothly. And the, the, that's another problem with these sequels that they they really try to like shoehorn that kind of stuff in with like the freight commercials and whatnot. It, and it it's not as cleverly written. It's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It, it feels like they were just trying too hard. 
Yeah, it, it feels like they were trying to recapture whatever magic existed in the old one and just were too clumsy to cat to do it. Like, they didn't have the same biting wit, I guess. Yeah, there's there's nothing as funny as Nukem like there was in the first one. It, I, isn't one of the commercials literally just like a PBS... Uh, sponsorship drive parody i didn't like that doesn't that doesn't cut the same way it's just some guy spinning plates and begging for oh, yeah. pbs donations yeah or it's, it's uh the mayor of detroit begging for donations for the town because they're in debt to ocp uh okay that works a little better then I and the, the, there's so many like strange little plot inconsistencies in two but i don't hate this movie um there's lots of little scenes that work for me um but i'm getting ahead of myself here i was sure. talking about the opening uh, these guys break into this gun store, right? And they blast RoboCop's car. Of course, it's like, of course it's RoboCop's car. Because all the bad guys are going, the cops are on strike, stupid. <laughs> it's like, who could that be? Exactly. And, that's right. Uh, that, that, and that's why all these people are robbing each other in the beginning. The cops are on strike. All crime is legal. Yes, it's the Purge 3. And <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they just annihilate this car, this, uh, the Ford Taurus from the original. They use the police cars. It blows up, and then they have you just hear this great sound effect, and you hear like that um, servo motor hiss. It's like, oh man, it's Robocop, and his foot steps out, and he's all shiny, and there's not a blemish on him. And then he just, of course, mows down all the bad guys. I, I forgot to take a tally. How many times in these two movies does Robocop step out of an already exploded car? I feel well, like it happens more a, than once. There's a fake one later in the movie. That's right. There we go. Yeah, he, he does like a, a yeah, and it was like, how did RoboCop do that? He he's not exactly he, a swift target here. He put a he put a brick on the brick on the uh, gas pedal and got out. <laughs> that's right. That's his human mind at work. Um, the action scenes in this movie aren't too bad. There's actually a much higher body count in part two than there was in the first one. And yet, there's no, like none of those scenes are as visually striking as the most uh, no. violent scenes in the first one. And that that's a matter of, um, and I'm going to talk about this with the new one too. It's a matter of catharsis that you get from action scenes, and it is just missing from a lot of part two. You don't get that emotional pull. You're like, man, I'm glad like Robocop finally blew away the bad guy. There's a couple, there's a handful of scenes that work, um, but more or less, it's a very mind numbing. Uh, like se- series of just violent shootouts, and they don't really add up to a whole lot. There's some clever stuff here and there, like where RoboCop uses like a, a steel door to deflect a bullet into a guy's head who's holding yeah. a baby hostage. Yeah, I, I liked the ricochet scene because that's that's something that only a cyborg cop can do. That differentiates him a little bit. Yeah, you know he's he's got his uh, built-in geometric, uh, you know system he's like doing all the calculations yeah he'd be awesome at billiards you know yeah yeah i was gonna mention speaking of the baby held hostage this movie hates kids (laughs) there is a drug dealer kid okay let's talk about the drug dealer kid real fast yeah yeah. Uh, i okay i thought when i was watching this that it was going to be revealed at some point that this kid was a secret dwarf i thought he was gonna be like 30 years old (laughs) And that he was the secret leader of the gang, because there's all these sequences that make it look like he's going to be much more important than he is. Like, I, because in this, I guess it, all right, I'm a little flustered. (laughs) (laughs) What, What built this up for me was in the first movie, you know, RoboCop can't shoot that executive 
because he can't shoot a member of the OCP. Yeah. And then that guy gets fired and RoboCop shoots him and it's like, oh, that's the big cathartic moment. The bad guy's beaten. Yeah. Now, this kid's like, this kid's already calling him fucker. Like, he, the kid shoots him. Like, he can't. He shoots he can't him in do the any- head with a Desert Eagle. And I was always wondering why the recoil doesn't smack him in the face. Well, movie logic, movie yeah. logic. But, but the, <laughs> but I saw, so, okay, I was like, okay, at the end, RoboCop's gonna find out he isn't a kid. <laughs> And then he's going to get his revenge, you know, like, and there's that scene later with the surgery where they're like, don't you want to send the kid out of here? And like, the, and Kane is there like, was some Kane. disturbing misplaced, like scenes of violence in this movie. And one of them is that torture scene where, uh, and I guess we should explain a little bit who this, like what this kid does. And he's kind of like the underling for the main drug dealer named, uh, Kane played by Tom Noonan. And well, a lot of might- Remember as uh, Frankenstein from the Monster Club. Oh, I, I've never seen Monster Club. Okay, let's. Well, he, he was in. Uh, he was in Manhunter. He played the Tooth Fairy in Manhunter. There you go. So, he was great, and he's like he's like a good idea to pick for a bad guy. But there's all this weird stuff, and it doesn't make any damn sense. Like a, they they keep a the skeleton of Elvis, and like next to a picture of Oliver North. I <laughs> I, I don't quite get it, and. I, it's like Frank Miller had all these weird ideas, and maybe he didn't get time to explain to Irvin Kirshner. Yes, we should explain this was oh directed God. by Irvin Kirshner. Now, now, okay, the man who directed arguably the greatest sequel <laughs> of serial film history finishes his career on the on one of the worst sequels. It is not one of the worst sequels. It's not. It it does it does not rank anywhere in the history of sequels. It will not hit my top one hundred at all. Maybe not. It might. It might hit my top hundred. However, that it's really hard to believe that the man that brought us or helped bring us Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back. The not George Lucas guys. Irvin Kirshner is the director of Empire Strikes Back and the proud director of RoboCop 2. Yeah. You know, I think a uh, well, a technical thing for me is that Empire Strikes Back had this beautiful cinematography by Peter Shashinsky. He did not work on any other Star Wars movies. Um, and he ended up being uh, David Cronenberg's go-to guy up to this day, ever since, I think, Dead Ringers. He's worked on every single Cronenberg movie. And in this movie, uh, RoboCop 2, the lighting, it looks like TV lighting. It's lost that edge and grit that the original had. And uh, by, that me- by that measure, it's made RoboCop look kind of plasticky. And he's even got this blue tint to him now that he didn't have in the original instead of the silvery's blue. And did he get an upgrade in his armor? I don't know doesn't really matter it's just that he looks cheaper and everything looks a bit cheaper and i'm sure the budget was bigger in this one uh actually let me look it up right now yeah it was 35 million as opposed to the 10 or so for the original and it goes to show you kids you know bigger isn't always better in terms of money uh yeah but going back to the drug dealer kid his name's hob he, he does stuff like he, he uh, tries to strangle Lewis to death with wire. He's like, you're out of breath, bitch. There are a lot of cussing children in this movie, and I can only imagine they got away with so many cussing children because there are a lot of parents in Hollywood that want to get their kid in the Screen Actors Guild, and they will let them say anything to get that card. I, 
I don't dis I don't disbelieve you there, man. I bet it's I bet it's true. Yeah, there's there's a baseball team of kids who rob an electronics store. Uh, there's a group of like vandalist kids who write like "Kick Me" on robot uh, RoboCop with uh, spray cans. Are there any other like horrible children I'm missing in this movie? I just feel like every every kid in the movie just says a bad word. I feel like they all cuss and they're, they're just all awful thieves. children. Yeah. I don't I don't think there's any innocent kids. I mean, we don't even we don't even really see RoboCop's kid anymore. Like we have all those flashbacks to. Uh, you know, that is past in the first, and we get a couple here, but they establish right away that Robocop's wife finds him creepy. Like, she doesn't, she does, she, I think, doesn't she have, like, a, a ban on him, like, driving by her house because he used to do it every day? Yeah, well, imagine if your husband was technically a zombie, and he's just, and he can't stay away from you or something, like, <laughs> he's basically haunting her. I feel like he just listens to every breath you take and drives by your house every day. Yeah. Um, that whole thing, I, that's one of the plots in the movie that's described early on that's never resolved. Like, his wife just kind of shows up, says, don't you remember me, Alex? He says, no, because the OCP people told him not to say so. And then, you know, they never bring up his wife and son ever again. Uh, but he still has his partner. Yeah, they still have his partner. And I'd like to go back to mention the, the Nuke gang. Yeah. You, you notice how they package the drug? They're in, like, uh, cassette player cases. <laughs> it's like this weird little jelly needle thing you stick into your neck. I don't know what the drug does to you because I don't think the actors knew because it doesn't appear to make anybody high or anything. There's one guy who does it. He kind of coughs a little bit. And then there's other people, like, they grit their teeth. And then there's, like, people that don't really seem to do anything when they stick the drug in their neck. They just didn't know what it was. Like, it's just this designer drug. It's, it's like a mood alteration drug. Yeah. I mean, it is a MacGuffin, though. Oh, yeah. I it, mean, it's, it's... The point is just to get Robocop from point A to point B. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Um... Although, I mean, that's going to come in a little bit later with our with our main villain's addiction to his own product. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And one of the most bizarre and questionable decisions, I think, by ever by a movie character. <laughs> um, or, well, several movie characters, because this one particular one wasn't completely in control herself. Um, <sighs> there, there's a... I, I think that's a bit of meta humor in this movie with RoboCop. There's, there's a scene with a boardroom of OCP executives going... I haven't seen RoboCop do anything nice. He's always just shooting people. Uh, def, this is definitely meta humor. I feel like this is these are actual like producers' notes. Yeah, I like that the character of um, oh god, he was in the first movie. He's one of the uh, OCP executives with the glasses. He's kind of the number two in this one. But he says something, and he's being completely sarcastic, like, I haven't, well, how about he just, you know, spend some time with some Cub Scouts or pull a cat out of a tree? And then the, the lady at the head of the table goes, I love it. And he's got this great look on his face. There's little scenes like that I really, really like. Um, yeah, well, okay, let's let's talk about all <laughs> reprogrammed RoboCop. Because it is like the scene in Superman 3 where Superman smokes the synthetic kryptonite that turns him into, like, a mean drunk. Yeah, he's, like, flicking peanuts like they're bullets. <laughs> Robocop becomes this 
tame golly g robot <laughs> and i i know it's meant for comedic effect but man it, it goes on way too long it it does and it doesn't because it only takes up like eight minutes of screen time <laughs> does it it felt like forever it, it, it's just it's like a weird little subplot that just gets resolved really quickly and it gets it gets resolved in the same way that like Fred Flintstone having amnesia gets resolved. Just bonk him on the head and he's fine. But, <laughs> robot programming is really that easy, as we'll also learn in RoboCop three. Yeah, um, but what Casey and I are talking about, yeah, that's, there, there's the scene with uh, the baseball team that we mentioned earlier. Uh, RoboCop, like a bullet bounces off of him and hits like their coach, who's the ringleader. And then RoboCop reads Miranda to a corpse, which I don't know what that has to do with him being a nice guy, RoboCop, at all. <laughs> but then he, he talks to the, the marauding children like, a note on nutrition. And then <laughs> all the kids run out the door, and Lewis just kind of gives up like, well, oh well. Well, he, well, we see some of his directives, and they're things like, commend sincere efforts. Yeah. Talk things out. Keep an open mind. Avoid I, stereotyping. I actually think this... It, it was an idea that was... Like so many in this movie that are underdeveloped. It was an interesting idea, but it kind of flopped. Like watching RoboCop pull over to... Uh, to tighten up the bolt on a... On a um, fire hydrant that's shooting water and kids are playing in. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's it's a mildly humorous diversion, but it takes me away from what I came to watch RoboCop for. Mm-hmm. You know I I don't there there's humor in RoboCop, but if you're going to RoboCop, you're not really going to see some like half baked comedy idea. Uh, you're you're gonna, I mean the original has humor, but it's all more or less black humor. And the humor in this one's transitioned over to like more of the slapstick variety. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be such a hypocrite because I already realized this because I just I, I said these words and then I thought these are some of the same things I'm going to mildly play phrase in RoboCop three. So <laughs> pay, pay no mind to me. It's all about execution, huh? Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a problem with the movie too is that every villain feels like a side villain. There's yeah, no, like, bad guy number one. Even with Kane, I, I guess is supposed to be the bad guy number one. Because the old man from the original, he's a completely different character in part oh my God. two. It is drastic. Because in the first movie, you get the impression that he's he's just this ineffectual guy, but he's... But he's kind of decent. Like he, like he runs, he runs a company full of corrupt assholes. But he himself is not corrupt. Yeah, he, he goes from like everybody's granddad to Mr. Burns, in, yeah. in one movie. Like all of a sudden he's Mr. Burns. Uh, I don't, I don't know why. Maybe Frank Miller only watched part of the first movie. <laughs> well, like, we we do know that. I mean, in spite of his right wing leanings now, Frank Miller at the time was not a huge fan of Reagan. So if we if we extend the Reagan metaphor from part one, maybe he's like, no, no, Reagan's an evil asshole. Well, that, that's a pretty good theory, actually. Um, I'm not gonna not gonna go against that. Uh, also, uh, Johnson, that's his name, the other uh, OCP executive with glasses. Yes. He's kind of different, too. He's actually one of the more likable ones, but at the same time, he's still kind of a kind of a jerk. He's the Smithers to yeah, he is, he is, Mr. Burns. He is Smithers, yeah. It's just, these characters are completely different now. 
and I, we're, you don't really know why, but I guess it's Frank Miller's take on Ronald Reagan instead. But the thing about Johnson is he is the number two to everybody. Like he is, he might be the most connected man in Delta City. He might be, yeah. <laughs> because he's the number two in the third movie. He was the number two in the first movie. All to different people. He's, I don't know, I feel like he's in a junior executive temp agency where you just get to go right to the top and then yeah. they don't need you. Yeah, they won't, they won't let him lead, I guess. That's, <laughs> that's a shame. Um, but a scene I really do like is where they're uh, reviewing video footage of prospective RoboCop 2s. Yes, RoboCop 2, another thing I like about this movie is actual, it's actually quite literal. There is a RoboCop 2. And yep. that's what... OCP is after to get a RoboCop 2. This is one of the few times where the number 2 is in a movie and it's actually said it's one of those times where you know, the movie title is said in the movie and it actually is a sequel name. Yeah, I, I like that about it. Uh, the There's um, uh, how should I put this? there's re- review of like all this video footage of different cyborgs being introduced <laughs> and they're all failing miserably. And there's like a great shot of one goes crazy and he has a loaded gun, of course, and he shoots a bunch of scientists. And then you see one of the scientists sitting in the room watching the video and he kind of grabs his arm like, yeah, that really hurt. (laughs) I I love the one that comes out, takes off its helmet. We see that it's a screaming skeleton that knows it's an abomination in the face of God (laughs) and wants to die. Yeah, that's that's the Casey cyborg there, a screaming (laughs) skeleton. Yeah, it's perfect. It's yeah. I and it's it's very Ray Harryhausen looking too. Yeah. Stop but motion. As Casey and I mentioned earlier, with one of the most questionable and likely stupid decisions we've ever seen in a movie, the main bad guy Kane ends up being the one to have his brain used in the RoboCop 2. Mm-hmm. And the RoboCop 2 they go with ends up being this massive it, he's like the heavy arms Gundam. He's got a giant Gatling gun. He's got a battering ram arm. He's got oh, like, yeah. a shoulder cannon. It's just an excess of guns. Yeah. <laughs> just like heavy arms. Yeah, yeah. It's an excess of just minigun, rockets, like everything you can put in something. And like, there it is. And like heavy arms, I love the design of RoboCop 2. I think it looks really cool and menacing. And like heavy arms, it tends to mainly deploy, stand still, fire a lot of guns, and not hit anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, except for a lot of innocent people. There's a big innocent body count in this movie. And mostly at RoboCop 2's hands. Or uh, claws, as it, as it is. Yeah, he has like two other arms. And one's like a welder or cutting arm. One's another just a, a snapping claw. Okay, so let's, let's question the logic here. Kane is the... Uh, he is a notorious criminal but we know this because we saw him in the newscasts in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. um he is someone that is is publicly reviled considered a huge uh danger and they decide that he is the one whose brain should be in robocop 2 and they control him by promising what's left of him biologically which by now is just his brain by promising him that he can take doses of his own drug nuke inside the robot suit which they will inject into his brain and his robot body is 
almost indestructible. <laughs> yes, and he has a VR face that looks like Lawnmower Man. I, I like that about that. He has like uh, this. I'm sure had it been done now, that the digital effects for the face would have been better. But I like that he has this scary little like screen pop out of its armored head and its, it's head. practically it's practically Andros from Star uh, Star Fox. Just this big CGI uh, polygon head that's that's constantly screaming. Yeah, they kind of made fun of that in the, the Adventure Brothers episode with uh, like the cyborg of uh, Doctor Venture. Mm. It's like a big camera or screen for his head. I don't remember what episode name it was, but it, I'm pretty sure uh, the Venture Brother guys were a fan or referencing it at least. Sure, sure. Um, and RoboCop 2, as it is, is, is animated uh, stop motion. This is one of the last movies I can think of, well, a live-action movie that utilized stop motion. Um, and it yeah. does it really well. I think the stop motion looks great. Oh, yeah. They were at the peak of their form. Yeah. And sadly, um, this is, it also, this came out three years before Jurassic Park. Once that came out, n- never mind Terminator 2, but dr- once Jurassic Park came out, it was over for stop motion. It, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that, that that was the age of the animatronic, and that's maybe the age I miss the most. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, but can we talk about can we talk about one of the, the most awful scenes in this movie? Um, Please. And that is the scene where Kane's girlfriend finds him in his new robot body. Yeah. And, and like, she's kind of fondling his giant claw hand. And... It's claw phallus. Let's, let's get that out in the open, shall yeah, we? Yeah, because she makes it clear she, she doesn't mind it. Like, she will have sex with a robot. She even says, well, it'll take some getting used to, but I'm sure we can make this work. Like, <laughs> no. And then I he don't... breaks her neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, his, his VR face starts screaming like it always does and just crushes her head but she is she is down to clown with robocop 2 and i just i found that awful i thought and it was ki- just really awkward and the kid is standing right there yeah he's kind of freaked out this is after yeah, robocop 2 is sent in to murder the mayor and anybody else who might be able to pay the city's debt to ocp the o- ocp is just clamoring for them to default yeah, and this all culminates in a big press conference where they reveal RoboCop 2. And of for course, whatever for whatever reason, the old man shows off the nuke drug in front of it. Yeah, and <laughs> Junkie Bot goes stark raving nuts. And they didn't learn their lesson with uh, Ed 209, and RoboCop 2 is totally armed, like he's got he's fully stocked with ammo, and he just goes on a rampage and murders tons of people. You would think by now OCP would be like into rehearsal press conferences. <laughs> like let, let's do, let's do this like five or six times, and if the robot doesn't freak out and shoot everybody in the room, we're good to go. Yeah. Oh, man, I I do like how the old man responds to it though. He sees RoboCop two from a balcony, just murdering tons of cops and innocent people, and he goes. This could be bad for OCP. Scramble the best pen team we have. <laughs> He's like, ugh, they'll always have relatives. They always do. <laughs> and had it not been the old man, like maybe a different guy running this at OCP, I'd, I'd like it a little more. 
But it it, it's, it's, it seems like such a contradiction to the first one. Yeah, I, I do like that uh, <laughs> this wretched attitude that, uh, or what Frank Miller thinks that corporate executives all have. Yes. They're even more misanthropic, these executives, and the, the Dick Jones character. Mm-hmm. Dick Jones wasn't like, uh, maybe he wasn't too worried about innocents being slaughtered, but it wasn't like to this level of just being a sociopath that the old man is. And again, I, I want to say, since you brought up Frank Miller's opinion of billionaire corporate guys, it's a very interesting thing to watch something like RoboCop 2 where he hates the corporate guys, and then to read modern Frank Miller, who hates Occupy Wall Street uh, protesters. I, so yeah. it's, it is a total cognitive dissonance. Maybe it's a sign you know, that we are never the same person when we get older. You know, we, are, we are different people at different stages in our life. Most of us not as radical, but hey, there we go. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, is there anything else you want to add to RoboCop 2 before we move on? Uh yeah, I, I'm gonna say I. There's there's plenty of unintentional comedy in this movie, um, some intentional, but my favorite bit of unintentional comedy in this movie is uh, the a scene. It's one of the scenes where he first runs into Kane's gang, and we are to believe that RoboCop, as slow as he moves, as completely difficult to miss in a crowd as he is. And as loud as he steps, is sneaking up on two guys <laughs> and locks them in a freezer. And his penis yeah. goes clunk, 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 clunk. You can hear him off camera, but these guys can't hear him. Hey, they <laughs> might have had headphones on. <laughs> Maybe. Have to, have, have to they, they must have been far future headphones or something. But they <laughs> I see what you mean. And um, he put, it's like the tiniest little thing to lock the door with, too. Also, I, I don't remember as many full body shots of Robo of RoboCop walking uh, in the first movie, and maybe that maybe I was just you know sort of more enamored with the design, the costume, and everything then. Yeah. But he's it, it's he walks believably as a robot, but man, it's awkward looking. It's he walks. Uh, there's an episode of uh, the show An Idiot Abroad where Carl Pilkington, who's the host, sees a robot in Japan walk. Uh, it's it's I guess it's the Aibo or whatever that robot in Japan is named. Yeah, Azimo. Uh, Azimo, that's the yeah. one. Azimo, Isaac Asimov. Why didn't I think of that? Um, Azimo, uh, and he he sees it walk and he goes, "Is that it? Is that supposed to be impressive? It just looks like it shit itself." <laughs> hey, poor robots. <laughs> poor robots. They, Mimicking they human walk. movement is hard. It is. It is. It, it's hard for actors in RoboCop costumes. Yeah. But uh. But, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll close my comments out for this one uh, with my favorite of good RoboCops directives, which is don't walk across a ballroom floor swinging your arms. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Uh, it's like the attitude and to action I wanted to bring up in this movie. It's like they did it in a hurry. Um, I did want to mention when, when you brought up the two guys get locked in the, the freezer or cooler or whatever, mm-hmm. Lewis later in that scene opens it up. And she just kind of grabs a guy, and he just she doesn't look it doesn't look like she does anything to sort of disable him. He just kind of falls, and then she shoots the other guy. It's like okay. end of scene. It's like <laughs> we don't really have an idea of how you're going to take these guys out, Nancy Allen, but just kind of grab this guy, and he'll just kind of <laughs> pretend to die. We're just going to say so that his time in the cooler decreased his reflexes. Yeah, 
And the fight with RoboCop and Ed 209 is, I think, for the most part, pretty well done. Like, it goes from the two of them shooting each other in, like, the uh, press conference room to Ed, uh, RoboCop 2 knocking him through a wall with his battering ram arm. And then them falling through, like, an elevator shaft. Uh, and then falling through, like, the ground and concrete. And RoboCop 2 kind of slamming him back and forth. And it's they, as good as it's as good as you're gonna get in a battle between a guy in a costume where he can barely move in and a stop motion puppet. Yeah, I, I think they did remarkably well with the final battle. I, I could have done less with like all of the innocent people getting mowed down, and then how casually everybody, including RoboCop, seems to take it. Yeah, he's not he's not bothered. I mean, this is like a dozen Boston Marathon bombings or something. It's horrible. Yeah, it would. It would. I mean, even even in like its worst day, Detroit would never accept this level of bloodshed. Yeah, it just never goes meh. I can understand the corporate guys going, uh, being the sociopaths they are, or whatever. You know? Right. And RoboCop, but I mean, we're but we're to understand RoboCop is like driven to defend the innocent. Mm-hmm. This is the same complaint we lobbied against Man of Steel Superman. That was it at even bigger scale. Oh, it, it much, yeah. but still, for RoboCop, like, that's as bad as it gets. Yeah, it is. And at the end of the movie, it's just him kind of, he has, like, a socket wrench on his head, and he's taking his helmet off. The movie yeah. ends with the sound effect of that. I like how he, spoiler alert, uh, defeats Please. Kane. <laughs> and I like that he just grabs his brain out, finally, and just smashes it. Yes. And then after he smashes it, it's in chunks on the ground. He smashes it again with his fist. I love that. It's brutal. It's like, <laughs> that's appropriate for RoboCop. That's the right way to close it that's out. That's the right way, yeah. I like, I like that a lot. So, so recommend or not recommend? Um, if you are a big, big RoboCop fan, I, you, you owe it to yourself to see it once. It's not going to knock your socks off. I know, I, yeah. I know weird people out there I run into, friends of mine, who go, you know what, I like two better than the original. I don't know those people. I, I, I don't know why. They never give me a good reason. But, you know, take it or leave it. It's it's a rental movie for most people. If you don't like I, RoboCop, avoid it. Yeah, yeah I'm going to say this is for RoboCop completists only. Uh, I didn't... I don't know. I was mostly bored by it, which is an odd thing to say. But, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't recommend it unless you're just... You have to watch every RoboCop movie. Um, I, for now, though, I mean, I'm still saying stick with the first one. You're good to go. Uh, and then just appreciate it. As, you know, appreciate that first movie. And you could even treat that one as a standalone and pretend there are no sequels. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're perfectly fine doing that, too. And as I consider myself a huge RoboCop fan, and most RoboCop fans I know go, you know, I really, only thing RoboCop related I like is just that original Paul Verhoeven movie. We all love the costume. We all love that first movie. It's okay. You yeah. Know? But and but we're saying that, and we're hoping that you'll stick around while we talk about the third one, because this is an extra long episode. Yay, extra long! So, and here we go. Ready for duty, partner? You, you're obsolete. Well, RoboCop three. Um, at, at this point, uh, Peter Weller had left. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Miller. They're still using story ideas from him. He's still. I think he's even credited as a screenwriter. By the way, I just read um, Miller's Miller's scripts for RoboCop two and three were drastically changed. Uh, there's a lot of the elements of the story, 
but none of, but most of what he actually wrote wasn't there and he released that script as a separate comic book in 2003. So if you want to read whatever version of RoboCop Miller would have done and maybe it's better or maybe it's worse, it is out there to be read as a comic book. Mhm. Yeah. Um Frank Miller hates this. Hates these movies too. Possibly more than you know, the average fan. <laughs> well, I probably justifiably so. Yeah. Um, and this was a reason he didn't want to do have any of his works adapted until Robert Rodriguez made more or less a fan film of Sin City to show him. So and and you know, Ro- hey, Rodriguez had to leave the Directors Guild of America to even make that movie because they wouldn't accept Frank Miller working on it because he wasn't in the Writers Guild. And well, he wanted to list him as co-director at even because he considered. He was taking so much from Frank Miller's comic books, they were practically storyboards to him. So he he felt like he had to co-list him as director. And but our I, Sin City reviews for another day. <laughs> another day, yeah, another day. Uh, on to RoboCop 3. Uh, this time RoboCop is played by Robert John Burke. Um, this movie, I believe it was shelled for a year before <laughs> it was finally released. I, I was wondering, like, because it looks like a sci-fi channel production. Yeah, it it came out. It, it comes out. I mean, as far as RoboCop goes, this is pretty late to make a third one. Yeah, this is a '93. I think it was made what '91 or almost this right is, after two. This is coming out almost at the same time as Pulp Fiction. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's very little time between these two movies. It, it's a very cheap looking movie. It, I don't know. Well, let's see what the budget was on this sucker. Twenty three million. Still more than the original. <laughs> Where did the money go, Casey? Twenty-three million budget made ten. Ooh. That's why it took so long for another RoboCop to show up. Oh man! Well, this RoboCop is about how RoboCop becomes the champion of the poor because he's trying to stop development for Delta City because they're running out innocent people and forcing some of them, as we find out, into something like a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also like a stormtrooper faction of the OCP police that are taking over, and they're at odds with the regular police, of which RoboCop's a part. Um, and this is kind of like... <laughs> this may sound weird, but there are strange little uh, similarities to this in The Dark Knight Rises. Really? Both movies have a significant amount of the runtime of the main hero being stuck underground somewhere. And he has to get repaired by some sort of doctor or scientist. Mm-hmm. And both movies have, let's see, in their climaxes, a showdown between the police, a wily gang of people. In this one, they're called the Splatterpunks, and they're teaming up with like the Stormtrooper guys. I don't remember what they're called. And our main, our hero finally has the, he suddenly has the ability to fly over everybody. And ah. he also has to get rid of a nuclear bomb at the end. <clears throat> so, uh, I, it's just I Dark Knight Rises, a... yeah. And gets a precocious young sidekick. Yes, and it's this little girl, I don't, I don't remember her name. She's like a little girl genius, she carries Oh no, no, I remember her name, it's Nico. It is the most generic, because she's half Japanese. Oh. It's the most generic Japanese name you can have. Nico, Nico, come here. Her parents are poor, but they do. She does have a really nice, well, at the time, laptop, because she's one of those genius kids, a whiz kid. Yeah, she's a whiz kid. Oh, yeah. 
she has a bunch of toys of RoboCop. It's like they just raided the marketing room stuff. Uh, can we borrow the Ed 209 action figure? They they borrow so much in this movie. They, I mean, okay. Let, Nico's house is destroyed by a wrecking ball while they're in it. Yeah. <laughs> which felt, it didn't feel like a RoboCop moment. It felt like a Terry Gilliam moment. Yeah, it was like Brazil, and there's like going to be shock troopers popping out of the ceiling or something. Yeah, I mean, and they're dra- they are dragged out of their house by police. Um, not because they've done anything wrong, but because they're just destroying old Detroit to build Delta City now. And the, uh, oh, the best part, the eviction notice is on the table, half burned in an ashtray. Dad's read it, doesn't care. It ain't kicking me out of my house. They don't have a plan, but their daughter is doing advanced calculus at age seven. Yeah, something like that. She knows how to reprogram in Ed 209, and in her own (laughs) words, she said... After I'm done with him, he'll be loyal as a puppy. Oh, no. It's not her own words. She does the best example of hacking I've ever seen since Jurassic Park, where Lexi <laughs> hacks things by just knowing how to operate windows. <laughs> um, Nico, after saying he'll be loyal as a puppy, her reprogramming is going to Ed 209 and just typing the words loyal as a puppy. <laughs> because apparently knowing calculus enables you just to type whatever you want because you're thinking of the calculus in your heart. Hey, two nine. He's pretty simple, you know. <laughs> he still couldn't manage stairs, I guess. She, I mean, but she just types whatever words she wants something to do, and it does it. Yeah. Uh, she gets rescued after her parents are abducted and separated from her by kind of an underground rebel movement. And they're killed. They're they're killed. Uh, <laughs> CCH Pounder is one of them, and so Stephen Root. Many okay. of you will know as uh, be Steepler. And uh, and Bill Dotrieve on <laughs> King of the Hill. Yes, yeah. Whereas uh, CCH Pounder, a uh, great actor. I mainly know her as uh, Amanda Waller on Justice League Unlimited. That's because she was so great as Amanda Waller. <laughs> Although my, the stories I've heard from uh, from from um, commentaries and stuff is that she is such a pro that she comes in, has no idea what her character's name is or anything, just <laughs> reads the lines with gravitas and leaves and has just will never remember that character. You bring her in for another recording, she's like, what am I doing again? Okay. She <laughs> nails it, and then she leaves, because she just does not care. But yeah. she's, she's great. She's one of the best character actors working, I think. And I think Steven Root's a fantastic character actor. He was on uh, Boardwalk Empire mm-hmm. recently. I think he was also in True Blood, so he's an HBO go-to guy lately. All right. Um, also, we uh, speaking of going back to the plot, we find out that OCP is being, is it being bought out by a Japanese company. Because yes. this movie figures into the Japanophobia America of the West had in the 80s and early 90s. But also it, it, it plays into Frank Miller's Japanophilia. Yeah. Um, Frank Miller loves ninjas. He loves samurai. <laughs> and he loves anime. I love all I those things. Me too. But they all play into this movie. I mean, <laughs> the the name... Uh, he uh, there is There is a... Japanese cyborg samurai assassin. His name is Otomo. <laughs> after uh, Akira director Katsuhiro Otomo. I didn't catch the Otomo thing. Yeah, that's his. He's, he's called. They call him Otomo. Oh man. Uh, but uh, I mean, Frank Miller wrote uh, that. Like I said, he wrote that uh, post-apocalyptic samurai story, Ronin. Any excuse to to fit a samurai sword in, uh, Miller's going to take it. Again, you know, we also have uh, Deadly Little Miho. 
and or Sin uh, the, the Wolverine story. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wolverine with uh, fighting the samurai, yeah. or or how Daredevil wasn't prior to Frank Miller's run trained by ninjas, but now that Miller's on it, ninjas, ninjas, ninjas. And uh, Elektra also. There's more yeah. ninja stuff figured in with her. Absolutely. And the hand. These are all Frank Miller things. Stick. Man, there's just okay. We could talk all day about Frank <laughs> Miller's, but but yes, it is an interesting mix of Japanophobic America and Japanophiliac. <laughs> I think I don't think Frank Miller had a fear of like the Japanese economy taking over. I think this is like part of like the other you know, the filmmakers of the studio. Like, oh man, Rising Sun—that's a popular book. Mm-hmm. We love the imagery of like the evil Japanese, and most of the Japanese people in this movie look like they're off of a World War II recruiting poster. This well, kind of that... stereotyped and over the top. The actor that plays um, the main evil Japanese guy, Kanemitsu—that's uh, Mako. Yeah. Mako, who uh, you know is known for uh, playing Uncle Iroh in Avatar: The Last Airbender, the animated version, um, known for man so much uh, Aku, uh, Samurai Jack, like just a really great voice actor. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite Steve McQueen movies when he was pretty young called uh, The Sand Pebbles. Yes, he's one of the main characters in that also. Um, that one, that one's on uh, streaming. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's sadly lost to us now. He, uh, yeah. he passed away. Pretty recently, too. right? Yeah, not too Yeah, recently. yeah. During the run of Avatar. Okay. Uh, but he's got a great legacy performances behind him. Um, he's only and in this movie voice. for like two minutes. If... And, in a, in a, and in mostly a non-speaking role. Yeah. Most, he's just there. <laughs> um, there are ninja robots in this movie. Yes. <laughs> And it makes you wonder, wow, now they have the technology to make tournament, Terminator ninja assassins is what they are, really. This kind of makes RoboCop, I guess it's the point, makes him look kind of antiquated and, you know, just uh, a little low-tech mm-hmm. by comparison and too clunky. Unfortunately, the times he fights this, the robot ninjas are extremely lame. Yes, they are. And one, the first time he fights a robot ninja, he's on his back the whole time. The whole time, he's on his back. Yeah. And the he other, doesn't, he doesn't do anything. Like he, he shoots him once, and it's beaten. And the other time, Nico reprograms them to a two robot ninjas to attack each other. But they, they look so advanced. I mean, compared to the American robots we've seen, where they're all just pretty much giant chicken walkers with guns and RoboCop, these their robots just look like people. Yeah, the Japanese are far surpassing us in robot technology, <laughs> which I guess is not a surprise. No, is it? Is that the phobia or the philia, Casey? I think it's a bit of both, and yeah. I think it's also kind of a cultural truism. Yeah. Uh, instead of the old man, because Dan O'Hirely playing the old man, I, I think he was doing Twin Peaks at the time. Even though they never resolved that story. They never resolved that at all. They never resolved where he went. I think. Rip Torn is now the CEO. <laughs> Rip Torn, uh, also known as the uh, the boss in Men in Black. Uh, that's a good point of reference. Uh, th- this is full of great character actors. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, actually, Robert John Burke is not a bad actor. He's a terrible RoboCop. But um, <laughs> he's been in a ton of uh, character roles. It, I, but I think for the most part, though, if you didn't tell people it was a different guy, I don't think most people would know the difference. I do, Casey. 
I maybe I but I you know when I saw his face I'm like eh, it's a bald stretched out face in a robot suit I don't really he doesn't have the movements down like Peter Weller did and his voice is completely different yeah um, I remember how they introduce him in this one they they try to make it suspenseful like the others uh, but it, they just keep cutting back to like close ups of his visor or something and he's chasing guys. And then he pops out of the car after shooting out the roof with like a thousand rounds or something stupid looking. He has like this new uh, extra like arm uh, cannon or something. It's just like a new toy to buy. At this point, he's more of an action figure uh, product. Yes. Uh, It doesn't feel like RoboCop as much to me. And even Edward Neumeyer complained. He's like, you know, RoboCop, part of what inspired me was like, sort of a western gunslinger type of character like he just has the one pistol and here yeah. he has like a jet pack and rocket launcher flamethrower machine gun and Tipo just... man use your jet pack yeah he's now yeah <laughs> um but this movie believe it or not has a, a more streamlined and easier to follow like story than the second one um, and I think that's the only place it has it as the second one because this is a PG-13 movie and the violence has been neutered. We're just it's, it's completely bloodless. Um, Nancy Allen gets killed early on in a really stupid scene. She said she would only be in the movie if she could die in the first half. Well, there you go. This is <laughs> after, in the very early scene, it showed that RoboCop can now catch bullets out of midair. As they're being fired, but he just <laughs> Which would have lets, been a handy skill to have before. He lets his best friend and partner just get mowed down in one scene, though. So <laughs> it establishes precedent and doesn't quite follow up on it. Should have caught that. Yeah, RoboCop. where were you in that one, Robo? Or just put yourself in front of her. Your RoboCop. Oh well. He becomes like what an adopted an adoptive father to Nico and. He spends most of the second half of the movie lying on a table underground. There is a, there is a woeful lack of RoboCop in this movie. Yeah. It's a lot of Johnson from the the, the original kind of being a jerk. There, there's like the one scene, like one or two scenes I thought were funny. Mm-hmm. And it was where all of the executives, like it's uh, the crash of 29, are jumping out of windows because OCP's losing... Uh, stock. There was one shot that was supposed to be funny that I and dark, and I, I kind of thought it was beautiful of the of the uh, executive. Uh, you hear his wife on speakerphone, like, "Honey, it's not so bad. This is what corporations do." By the time we hear that, we'd sort of pan out, and he's standing in the window and just drops out. Yeah, I wonder and if that was like the first scene in the movie they shot. They were the most. They were at their most inspired. Because it's like that's a really good looking shot. Yeah. But <laughs> I but there's also that extended shot where uh you know a guy gets fired uh, in front of Johnson and he walks out and like a minute later we hear the gunshot as he like kills himself. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah it's really that was probably one of the strongest scenes in the whole movie yeah yeah I mean that just that whole sequence there works. I maybe it's like a stupid joke and maybe I have a bad sense of humor. Mm-hmm. I do like the opening where it's. All right, the actor that was on Seinfeld, uh, he was the guy who got locked in Jerry's trunk and accused Jerry of murdering this woman named Susie. Okay. If you're a Seinfeld fan, you know. Yeah. There's like a scene where he tries to rob a diner early on, put your hands up, and then like he looks around and the place is full of cops. 
Mm-hmm. And then the, the guy at the cash register just goes, uh, what's it like being a rocket scientist? This is a good time to talk about funny. the... Yeah, well, this is a good time to talk about the director of this movie. This movie was directed by Fred Decker. Uh, Fred Decker, who is um, not as prolific as he should have been, but I really enjoyed the work he did. Uh, he directed the horror movie Night of the Creeps, which I think is a really, really strong, surprisingly strong uh, comedic alien zombie movie uh he also did uh the monster squad which i brought up earlier with tom noonan tom noonan um so he's a guy that can really mix the horrific with the comedic i just i I don't know i wonder what the obstacle was here and maybe it's just trying to make a robocop movie yeah uh, this is listed as the last movie he directed yeah now uh, he's he's also listed as the producer for like star trek enterprise mm mm-hmm uh, he he did a couple episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. Um, but his his career was tragically short for as good as those first two movies are. I I, I love um, what he did with Night of the Creeps. I really enjoy the Monster Squad. I think I think he really had a great career ahead of him. And I don't. I don't but apparently this you know RoboCop is poison for directors. It, it killed uh, the careers of Irvin Kershner and Fred Decker. Unless your name's Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see how history plays out for Jose Padilla, who did the, the remake that just came out. Um, but that's for another episode. The next episode, in fact. Yeah, the very next one. Uh, yeah, RoboCop 3, it's got, by this time, it's kind of a bland enterprise for the most, for me. Mm-hmm. Like, he's more like generic, like, sci-fi character now. He's lost that coolness that was just surrounding the first one, and I think had a little bit of a trace in the sequel, the first sequel. Sure. And it's a big part of that is because of how absent he is in the second half of the movie. Like he doesn't really pop up again until like the last ten minutes, where he has like a couple of showdowns and then like the Dark Knight Rises whole climax. Um, you know, I, I just realized by the way. Um, the name of CCH Pounder's character in this is Bertha Washington. Uh, in the Ooh. movie, she's a freedom fighter, uh, and that's also a reference to uh, Frank Miller's own character, Martha Washington, who is a freedom fighter in, in the titular character of his Martha Washington comics. Uh, yeah. Both are black female free- freedom fighters. I, I think that's kind of cool. I, I didn't know that. I haven't read Martha Washington. So when was that written? That was uh, during the peak period. The peak period. Like that, was, that was kind of like the end, like the like one of the late, one of the last really good things he did. Hmm. Frank. Um. Oh gosh, I, I think it'd be a good time now to like. What are like the Frank Millerisms we can really peck out of this movie? You know, comedy prostitutes. Comedy prost. Are there comedy prostitutes in this one? Um, I feel like there are prostitutes in this one. I. There are at least ladies with teased hair and streetwalker clothing. Yeah, yeah. We we I already mean, yeah. I mean, to, to see the full Miller perspective, uh, in 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 between two Batman books, he gives one of my favorite portrayals of Selina Kyle in the first one, where she is a tough streetwalking lady that watches out for the girls uh, that walk the streets. Um, and then she gives one. He gives one of my least favorite portrayals in The Dark Knight uh, Returns, where she is an old. A uh, prostitute that's tied up and beaten nearly to death by the Joker. All right, I, I got the the feeling she was a madam by that point. Yeah, yeah, she's the lady that owns the establishment. Yeah, he's or she's always leaving messages for Batman like Bruce, I'm lonely. 
the 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 splatterpunk gang which is a uh, movement in horror literature uh led by guys like john skip and jack ketchum that really emphasizes uh gore yeah, they are very detailed writers of gory horror uh ketchum be kind of like the original splatterpunk author then yeah, he's he, he's one of the big uh, you know the big guys. There was a uh, Offspring, I think that was the first one, and uh, Joe R. Lansdale. Yeah, a guy I didn't really know a whole lot about until you uh, brought mm-hmm. his brought my attention to him. And uh, John Skip, who wrote a lot of uh, splatterpunk stuff and uh, some a, a popular vampire book in the '80s called The Light at the End. Yeah, and with the splatterpunks, there's really nothing that's very interesting about them they're like just really pale well they they all have crazy wild punk haircuts yeah they're all a bunch of robert smiths yes and uh they're they're very they remind me a lot of the mutant gang from dark knight returns oh yeah so were they like an offshoot of the nuke gang maybe maybe I, i mean they they even kind of have their same hard to decipher lingo as the mutant gang does. yeah they did when uh, like, go take him out. He don't shiv. Yeah, they're just they're kind of talking. Like they they have like really strange accents that I can't really place. And yeah, it's that's more one of the more Frank Millery things. Yeah, mm-hmm. this one gave more of a an active role to the interchangeable brunette scientist <laughs> who works on RoboCop. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, there's never the same one twice. <laughs> but I, I'm guessing it's the same character every time. Um. I don't remember this actress's name. I know she was on Law and Order in the '90s. Jill Hennessy. Yeah. Jill Hennessy. Oh, yeah. There we go. Uh, she's okay. Oh, it should be noted, by the way, that apparently Robert Burke was too tall for the RoboCop costume, and they didn't tailor it to him, so he couldn't move around very much because it was painful. Oh. So that's that. That probably explains why the fight scenes are so <laughs> terrible. He's on his back for one of them the whole time. Right, because he couldn't move in the damn costume. <laughs> because they didn't, they they didn't want to use any of that twenty three million to make some alterations to it for him. Yeah, and the way he beats the robot ninja is so uncreative in that first one where he's on his back, as you'd imagine. <laughs> just just watch it. He shoots him once. That's just, all you gotta do. He just take. shoots him. One time. That's all it takes. It's not even like in a humorous Indiana Jones way. Like, oh, he's got a sword. I've got a gun. The pacing of it is so strange, too, because they build up the first Otomo robot really early in the movie, and then he doesn't come back for like 70 minutes. Yeah, he's. Well, they just show him kind of going around, like, Detroit looking for Robocop. But by then, I've kind of forgotten that he's even an entity. Yeah. Send Otomo. He will clean up this mess. Oh, okay. That's... <laughs> and then they have the two later on, and they differentiate them by having one of them have a really stretched out, weird-looking face. Yeah, it's like been shot or something, so his face is all messed up. That way, they can have an you know they can have an actor that is not that guy pretend to be his twin without using <laughs> parent, the the cutting edge parent trap technology. <laughs> well, dead ringers, Casey, please. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it would have. They were probably running on a tight schedule at that point. Like, ah, oh, we ain't doing any twinning effects. We just put some make crap out. Let's put some makeup on them. We just <laughs> we just want to sell some toys now. And RoboCop's not gonna fight them either, so just it doesn't matter. Isn't there like a really? Re- it actually made me laugh. 
and I think it was supposed to be funny, where RoboCop steals a pimp's car. Yes. And then, like, the car is really tough. It just keep it. All it does is like lose the doors and the hood or so, or or the uh, the roof. But every it's like it just it's like one of the, when the, one of the Gundam wing pilots pilots like a regular mobile suit. It can just take all this damage. Yes, Not or a, any any Gundam pilot for that matter. Just you, if you if you steal a robot suit, it's impenetrable compared to the guy who's been piloting it for forever. But everyone else's car or everyone else's Gundam can explode. At the drop of a hat. Oh yeah, they, they they are like paper. They are they are the regular mobile suits to your Gundanium alloy. And they're this exploding. Is the, this is the Gundam dorkiest episode. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I just started. I just started a Gundam blog. So, <laughs> what is the name of your Gundam blog, Casey? Uh, it is the Manovsky Articles, named after uh, the Manovsky particles which power Gundams. Um, the first post isn't up yet, but it'll probably be up within the next couple weeks. So. Look forward to that if you are one of those people who is so inclined to care about giant robot discussion. I know I am. <laughs> but yeah, it's... There we go. Okay, you just gave me... You asked if there were prostitutes in part three, and there are. Um, because that whole building that the pimp is in front of is full of corrupt cops sleeping, oh, yeah. in, their, <laughs> sleeping in their uniforms with prostitutes. I forgot about that. And I just mentioned the pimp, and I forgot about prostitutes. I'm terrible. That's <laughs> <laughs> just like this is the police corruption of this time. It's just that they're all they're all wearing their police hats, so that yeah. we that they're bad cops. It's like the stormtrooper guys too. And they all try to they all try to like hit on that one young girl that just happens to be around. And yeah, I do like when Robocop shows up with the flamethrower. That was yes. As much as I, I think that's gimmicky and everything. Oh, but flame in that, throw, I that. love flamethrowers. <laughs> flamethrowers are awesome in action movies. I love it. I, I don't, I don't think we should ever apply gimmicky to RoboCop. Like it's, I, I think, I think beyond the first one, the point is just to make it as gimmicky as possible. Like let's just, let's just treat RoboCop like Mega Man at this point and just give him different arm attachments <laughs> to shoot guys with. I, that's where I'm happy. That's some that's my people place. love that kind of stuff. Hey, I mean, it's it's more enjoyable than him shooting the same pistol all the time. I, I, I just like the simplicity, or when he really needs it, his spiky USB drive. <laughs> yes. That can impale you. I guess what I'm thinking is, like, like in the first movie, you know, we have a story, we have a story and everything, so that, that simplicity works. Here, where the point is just to do whatever, yeah. I, I'm okay with it. I can, I can jive with RoboCop just suddenly having a flamethrower arm. You know what? Uh, this movie has a reputation of being like Batman and Robin, or like Battlefield Earth. This is one of the worst movies ever. I I don't agree with that. I I don't think it's a good movie. I find it more enjoyable than two. Oh, it, it's certainly watchable. Yeah, and I do you enjoy it more because the the plot is a little more streamlined and easier to get into. The plot is more streamlined. The comedy, the comedy, they both go for comedy, but the comedy in this one works better. I think. Maybe in, like, the context or just, like, the style of the movie, the comedy works a little better. It works, but I mean, I, I didn't, I don't care for, like, that eight minutes of, you know, good guy RoboCop in the second movie. Yeah, like, where that, he's like, reading Miranda to the corpse isn't as funny as it wanted to be. Well, because it doesn't make any sense for the character. Even, even in the context of what the character is doing, it doesn't, it, it didn't make any sense. Like this, the comedy sort of, like, diluted out. If I have a complaint about three... It's that we we have 
maybe a little too little RoboCop. And, uh, you know, again, RoboCop can't move because we have an actor that's taller than Peter Weller shrinking into a Peter Weller costume. I did not know that, man. And that explains a lot, <laughs> as you said. Um, I did want to bring up three revives the score from the original, while two had a completely different score. A much oh. lesser score, also. Two's score was so Looney Tunes. It was so generic. Uh, there's I, there's little breaks here and there I kind of liked, but it wasn't. That... I feel like there was. I feel like there was like a xylophone or a marimba solo at some point in the two soundtrack. It was really bad. It it didn't quite fit, and I, I have no idea why they didn't use the original Basil uh, Peladora score. Yeah. I mean, this this Basil, by the way, the man for eighty soundtracks. Uh, he, he gave us yeah. He gave us the tremendous riddle of riddle of steel from Conan the Barbarian. And uh, the Lonesome Dove uh, miniseries scored that as well. Yeah. Terrific scores. Um, and when I that RoboCop sound, the theme has a great like heroic beat to it. I love it. Um, and it works well when it's even like the quieter moments. It's a, just a terrific score. I don't. Yeah, I just don't know why they didn't use it. Um, but thankfully, it has returned for part three, and it's mm-hmm. just nice to hear RoboCop having his theme song play with him. You know, play yeah. alongside him. Well, I okay. So, are we going to go with a recommend or a not recommend on this one? I, I say like if you enjoy two. You know, if, if you're a RoboCop completist, as Casey said, I think you. You gotta watch this at least once. Mm-hmm. How about you, Casey? I this is where I'm gonna get flack from somebody. I know it. I have an easier time recommending three than I do two. Um, and I know I, I've heard some people say, you know, ah, but two is darker and more mature, and that doesn't really mean anything to me anymore. Like I don't. But I mean, and maybe there's maybe there's some darker themes in two. I mean, two doesn't take itself two takes itself a little more seriously. I don't know, but yeah, I I'm not of the uh, the school of thought where gore or violence uh, or you know having a lot more cuss words um, makes something more mature. Uh, in fact, I will say um, I recall the advertisement for the Game Boy game mm-hmm. for RoboCop three. And I, I'm trying to think of the. I'm trying to remember the tagline. It was something like no. Okay, I, I got it now. It was um, RoboCop three for all ages. <laughs> I had uh, I had a ton of comic books because nineties ninety three was probably around the time I started really getting comic books as a kid. I remember a ton of them have ads for this movie. Yeah, I mean. They they really tried to I they I guess they really tried to start pushing it for for kids by two, but even by three I don't I don't think any of these movies are really appropriate for kids like I don't I I don't you know as much as I enjoy the CEO suicides scene um I I can't imagine going like hey kids let's go watch the scene where the executive jumps out a window because he can't cope with his stocks falling. You know, I think the most grim movie of the series is probably Part 2. Yeah. And that one is the most misanthropic. It's got all these horrible children in it. It's got this bizarre torture scene with the Officer Duffy um, we briefly touched upon. 
Uh, it's got all these innocent people dying. Mm-hmm. The one one has more. It's a few more gorier scenes, and the only scene that's I think real well two that are disturbing. Three man, the toxic waste man, Murphy's murder, of course, and yeah. when uh, Bob Morton gets his knees blown out. At least that bothered me as a kid. I and, and two is m- the hardest to follow. It's the hardest to get into and hardest to care about because, like I said, the the villain is or who is who is the villain is really diluted mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and there's no like catharsis to it all. Even by it ends, you're like, okay, Robocop just killed this guy he just didn't like. <laughs> Well, you know, I wanted to bring up about three because we we talk about who is the villain. This is something that I guess is a unintentionally a big part of the series because all right, in the first one, a CEO uh, teams up with Clarence Boddicker. You yeah. Know? Uh, so okay, so that's that's we we have we have established the corporate guy and the thug. Mm-hmm. And number two, we have the old man and Kane corporate guy and the thug i guess they felt like we couldn't get away from doing this in three so for no reason the corporation teams up with the splatterpunk gang mm-hmm. I, and i don't understand why there's no establishment of that they're just suddenly like well we need to have some villains to throw at robocop so yeah. bring in the splatterpunk gang yeah and all the splatterpunks are like examining these big assault rifles and they don't really know how to use them but they've been given to them by the corporation. Yeah. I, there's really no reason for that to happen. Yeah. Other than there's like there's a tradition of corporate guys hiring street level thugs. Yeah. In the RoboCop universe. I don't even remember what were the commercials like in part three. They uh they deliberately pulled the I'd buy that for a dollar scene from the first one. Oh yeah, he does return. The I'd buy that for a dollar. He wasn't in the second one. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's the exact same footage. It probably is. But I, I don't really remember the commercials either. Most of the most of the newscasts in this are RoboCop, a menace. Like the J. Jonah Jameson of Detroit is out there writing stories <laughs> about RoboCop. Oh, you know what? There's an ad for Delta City with like this white baby or something. It's like the future is bright. Oh yeah. Delta City. Are we sure that Peter Weller isn't like Peter Parker in this and he's just selling pictures of RoboCop to, <laughs> to... <laughs> I was working on Naked Lunch, you guys. Come on. <laughs> but he's the one smearing RoboCop in the news. Yeah. Hmm. Well. So, yeah, I, I, I'll say, I, one is the only good movie in the series, but three has a lot of comedy, both intentional and unintentional, that works for me in the way that I like a... 80s or 90s action movie to work for me when it's not a good movie. Yeah. Three is... It's watchable. It's certainly yeah. watchable. Um, it, it's not a good movie, but you can do a lot worse than RoboCop yeah. 3. So my, my ultimate tally, uh, highly recommend RoboCop 1. Do not recommend RoboCop 2. Mildly recommend RoboCop 3. So... Um, I recommend, uh, yeah, everyone knows how I feel about one. Uh, two, you can take it or leave it. It all depends on how much you like the original or just RoboCop in general. And then three is, it's a, it's like a, it's a Saturday FX afternoon movie is what it is. All right. Like escape plan, you know. Well, I, th- I think that about covers it. We've we've done the trilogy, guys. We've 
But we're not done with this retrospective. We're not out of the woods yet. Oh, no. We've got one more, and that's the remake that just came out. Mm-hmm. So you all have a chance to go see it in the theaters. I've already seen it. I have not, so you, if you go, uh, you might catch me there. Yeah. All right, y'all. I will not give my opinion until Casey has seen it. Until then, my friends, uh, I'm Casey Mitchum. And I'm Burton Cody. Stay bloody, guys. Behave yourselves! <laughs> <laughs>